Well, I get the privilege of introducing this morning's speaker to you, which I'm really excited about. One is probably a superficial reason, but that is that we're in the middle of this series called Things That Keep Us Up at Night. And when you think of the different speakers that we tend to have on this platform or online as you're watching, uh, it tends to be speakers that have names that are, that are really nice, but they don't really keep you up at night. You know, names like Jeff, Peter, Gene, Cindy, those are really nice people names, you know what I mean? And so what's exciting about this morning is our speaker's name is Igor. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? It's like perfect. You know, you're like, oh, Igor, like if he can say a yes master at some point in this, like I will blow my mind on that too. But obviously that's not the reason why he's here, even though that's a very cool coincidence. Uh, uh, this Igor flew 17 hours to be here with us this morning because he is from New Zealand. So he has a great accent, way better than my accent on there. And with that, he has served as a pastor. He has served as a police officer in New Zealand for nine years. He now currently serves as a leader of a nationwide ministry called Living Stones, which has been an organization that we've had a cool partnership with as a church for a long time. And this organization is changing the landscape of an entire country in New Zealand where they are raising up new leaders and encouraging churches in ways that is just super encouraging to hear about. And so he's come all this way here and he hears that everything's bigger in Texas. So whatever room, whatever campus or wherever you're watching right now, can we give a big Texas size welcome to Igor Gerritsen? Oh, wow. Everything's bigger in Texas, all right. Hey, um, welcome. And whether you're here at Legacy or any of the campuses uh, joining us online, wherever you are right now, thank you for tuning in. And uh, it's so good to be here. As um, you just found out, I am part of a ministry called Living Stones in New Zealand. This is where New Zealand is, in case you wondered. But notice on the map here, it's in the middle of the earth. We, yeah, yeah, thank you. It's like most maps you see, the US is in the middle. We're in the middle. Um, it's down the bottom of the world somewhere, but which should be encouraging to you that the gospel has reached it even to the ends of the earth. All right? So that's where I'm from, and I get the privilege of serving in a ministry called Living Stones, and we have a neat partnership with Chase Oaks. You may not know that usually every year one of your pastors gets to jump on a plane and come and speak at one of our gatherings, which is hardship for them, I know. But... Um, such a privilege. We, we love the friendship that's built up and the camaraderie. Um, so over the summer, we're having some important conversations, uh, things that keep us up at night. I want to encourage you to tune in for the whole series because if there's anything that keeps you up at night, it's just not a good thing, is it? Who wants to be like, you know, watching that clock, two, three, four o'clock in the morning? You don't. So dial on in. But I want to... In- begin by introducing you to a friend of mine. This is Cruz. Yeah, I know. Cruz, isn't he wonderful? Cruz is a a police dog, or he was a police dog, and him and I served in the New Zealand Police K-9 unit, and uh, he's quite the piece, you know. Cruz, he's a mean, lean, crime-fighting machine. Honestly, he is. He can jump six-foot fences like they're not even there. He can catch um, big, bad offenders and put his jaws around their wrist, around their biceps and rip them to the ground. Sometimes he does a bit of damage, which we don't mind. Um, he can find little kids that are lost in the bush and he can find people that are buried in an avalanche in the snow. He's, he's quite the piece. And, you know, looking on the outside, you would think he's all together. But what you don't know is that deep inside, Cruz has an issue. 
You see, Cruz has what's called this disorder that's called separation anxiety. He does. Cruz was, you see, Cruz was taken off his mother at six weeks old. Now, you shouldn't do that with a pup. Apparently, it's eight weeks before you remove them from their mother. But the fact that he got removed early on created this disorder for Cruz called separation anxiety. Now, what that meant was any time that Cruz was with me, his master, he was fine. He was just the, the deal. But any time that he was separated from me, he was a shivering mess. He couldn't handle life. In fact, let me tell you one example. One day we're up at Mount Ruapehu. It's a big volcano in New Zealand, beautiful spot. And we're doing some training to find people who have been trapped in an avalanche. And, uh, and so we're up there, and at one point we had to tie our dogs to a snowmobile at the bottom of the ski lift area and walk to the top. We're at the top doing some work, and one of my colleagues says, Hey, look, Eeyore, look down there. You know what Cruz had done? Stupid dog. He had chewed through his lead until it was totally destroyed, and then he started to track me down. So he was going from footstep to footstep to footstep all the way up the mountain. We were watching him, and he walked all the way to the top, and he sat right at my feet with his ears back like, I know I'm naughty, Dad. Please don't hit me. (laughs) Separation anxiety. Statistics tell us that one in four Americans, and in fact it's the same in New Zealand, one in four Kiwis, will at some point in their life struggle with an anxiety disorder or a phobia or panic attacks. Um, In fact, in 2017, 284 million people worldwide suffered with an anxiety disorder, which makes this the most prevalent mental health disorder that there is. Many of us have this mental monster crawling around in our head. And doctors call it anxiety. The everyday word we might use is worry. Now, you might be like, well, I'm not that extreme. I'm not that bad. But the truth is all of us have anxiety to some extent. All of us worry to some extent. You know, we worry about what we look like, don't we? In fact, if the size of the mirrors in our home is anything to go by, we do. Uh, We worry about how other people perceive us. We worry about our, our families. You know, I've got some young adults growing up in my home. Yeah, tell me about it. We worry about our aging parents. We worry about our finances. We worry about our health. Uh, you name it, you think of an issue and someone somewhere is going to be worrying about it. Um, personally, I've had to, well, I've, I've walked alongside people who have journeyed with this issue, anxiety, as a policeman, as a pastor, as a financial planner. But more recently, I got to serve in the Rural Support Trust in New Zealand, which is an organisation that's designed to help people in the rural community who are just struggling with life. And in 2017, we had a civil defence disaster where a whole area was flooded and we really had to lean in and help people and it was a major problem. What I've come to learn over my time My short time, I know I look real young on earth, is that worry uh, drains you. Worry sucks the lifeblood out of you. Worry stops you from functioning the way God has designed you to function. We've got the pain of the past to worry about. We've got the issues in front of us today to worry about. And we've got the future, which is so uncertain, to worry about. 
So before we carry on, I want to just give you my anxiety definition. This is from the uh, Life Encyclopedia, where anxiety is defined as an emotion that a person experiences in the face of a perceived threat or danger characterized by an unpleasant anticipation of misfortune or doom. Now notice I've underlined perceived because that's a very important word. Because in many cases, the threat is not real, but it's imaginary. Anxiety is often stress and unpleasantness about future uncertainties. It primarily has to do with what may happen in the future, whether that's nearby or a long way off. In fact, anxiety has three main issues, insecurity, helplessness, and isolation. Insecurity in that something bad's going to happen, and that makes us feel insecure. Helplessness in that I feel like there's nothing I can do about it. And isolation in that we feel so alone. There's no one to help me. All right, now statistics tell us that in terms of anxiety, 40% of our anxiety has to do with things that will never actually happen. 30% has to do with our past, which we can't change. Can't do anything about your past. 12% has to do with what other people think of us, which, by the way, is mostly untrue. All right? 10% has to do with our health. Now, you tell me, when you worry about your health, what happens? gets worse. It's not a good thing. 8% has to do with real problems that we are going to face at some point. So anxiety is a whole lot of baggage that robs us of emotional and physical energy. But friends, the good news for us today is that God can help us deal with our anxiety. Isn't that good news? So I'm glad you're here. Now, before we dive into God's Word, I want to just explain the difference between worry and concern, between anxiety and concern. You know, concern is where there's something that is negative in nature, and you need to deal with it at some point, but you control when you're going to deal with that. You know, there's plenty of areas of concern addressed in the Bible. The Apostle Paul was concerned for the church, but concern is you, you dictate when you're going to deal with it. Worry is where that concern has now built up to the point that it becomes anxiety, and you know that because it controls you. It tells you whether you're going to sleep tonight. It tells you whether you're going to cry. It dictates to you whether you're going to be discouraged, whether you're going to be depressed. So concern, okay, that's, we've all got some things we're concerned about. I can park that till this afternoon when I get home. I'm going to deal with that. But worry is when that concern now has bubbled up to the point that it controls you. Okay? You see the difference? Now, back in Bible times, uh, very different time when the Bible was written. Long time ago. Okay, back then they, they didn't have uh, welfare. They didn't have uh, medical care. They didn't have penicillin. Hadn't been invented yet. They didn't have the Central Expressway, Highway 75. <laughs> Wasn't there yet. You know, it's great, isn't it? Man, massive highway. I love it. Um, but so very different back then. Life was harsh. People's life expectancy was a lot shorter. And into that difficult environment, Jesus speaks into that in the greatest sermon ever preached in, the, uh, in Matthew 7. 
and he says, do not worry. The Apostle Paul picks up on that a little bit later on. Churches are being planted, the gospel is spreading, and he's planted a church in a place called Philippi. He writes a letter back to them in Philippi, and he has this to say in Philippians 4. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Worry about nothing. And whatever it is that you are worrying about, you are out of order for letting it get to that point of controlling you. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, friends, this is not a suggestion. If you're a believer, you've put your trust in God, this is a command. This is written in the imperative. This is a, um, something that we have to follow. So when you or I allow something that's down at this concern level, when you or I allow something to bubble up to the point that it's controlling us, we are in actuality um, rebelling against God. We're out of order for letting it happen. Um, but let me unpack that a little bit more because the book of Philippians is a book all about joy. The Apostle Paul keeps talking about joy. My joy is that you would da 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 da. In fact, if you went through and underlined every time you see the word joy, you'll see what I mean. He's all about joy. But what's the context? He's writing from prison. He's writing this book from prison. He's locked up. That's not a good situation. He doesn't know if he's going to live or if he's going to die. And in the middle of that, he writes to these people at Philippi and he writes to you and I at Chase Oaks and he says, keep your joy. Wow, I think we can learn some things from Paul. He is, by the way, not in a hammock somewhere on the beach of New Zealand sipping a nice icy Coke going, ah, life's good. He's in jail. Him and Paul and Silas are in jail. You can read more about that in the book of Acts. And they don't know how their circumstances are going to end. It's not good. Um, they're not in his favor, but he can write about joy. So what I want to do today is talk about how we can keep our joy despite our circumstances. All right? Because joy, from God's viewpoint, is not tied to our circumstances. He says in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And he repeats it. I'll say it again. Rejoice. See, there's worldly happiness and godly happiness. They're two different things. Godly happiness is joy. It's a celebration term. Worldly happiness, on the other hand, Depends on what happens. Depends on your circumstances. So when things are up, we're up. When things are bad, we're down. And so we're on this roller coaster where we go from being good to not being so good because I'm now governed by my circumstances. And some of our circumstances we can predict, some of them we can't predict. Uh, but they impact us, they affect our emotions. As they would. But that's not the definition of biblical joy. Biblical joy has to do with celebration on the inside, regardless of the circumstances on the outside. It's not tied to circumstances. Now, the church that uh, in Philippi that Paul's writing to, they had some opposition going on. It wasn't all tickety-boo, all right? So, is that a term you don't use? Maybe it's tickety-boo. And so... <laughs> In the midst of those challenges, Paul writes and says, okay, despite the issues going on, keep your joy. Let me illustrate this way. Um, our oldest child, Jacob, when he was two, he got really, really sick. 
And so one day I had to take him to the doctor. So I carried him into the after hours uh, medical clinic and uh, checked him in at the reception counter and then you wait in the waiting room. I assume it's the same here, right? Everyone's waiting to see the doctor. And so I'm in the waiting room and around me are all these people that are sick, you know, this coughing and spluttering going on. You, you know, it's like you, one of those situations where you go, if I wasn't sick coming in here, I'm going to be sick going out. You, you picture it? Okay. But in the middle of the sickness, there was this little playground that they built for kids to go up and at least have a little bit of fun while, um, while they're waiting. Well, so on the inside of this location of sickness was a playground. And just as I thought back to that, I'm like, man, can any of us use a playground right now in the middle of our sickness? Well, today I want to talk about how do we build a playground in our situation because the way you get joy despite your circumstances is actually in the verse. If you look closely, it says rejoice in the Lord always. It doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances. He says rejoice in a person. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, recently I was reading in Psalm 106 and uh, it, I just struck me that the people were complaining. They, what that happened is they had stopped celebrating God. Despite what God had done for them, getting them all the way out of Egypt and setting them on the right path and saving them, they had stopped celebrating God and they were miserable. They were miserable as a result. And I think, look, maybe that's us. We've forgotten what God has done. He's taken us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He's given you new life as a result of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we forget that, we could be miserable. Friends, the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to celebrate God. That's how we overcome worry, is we celebrate God. Celebrating, sorry, rejoicing is celebrating God. If you want a playground in your heart and in your soul, despite the circumstances that are circling you on the outside... You must, in the middle of your circumstances, decide to rejoice, celebrate God. Now, there's lots in the Bible about not grumbling and complaining, eh? You know, can I just say, grumbling and complaining does not help your problem, okay? It doesn't help your problem at all because it just reinforces the problem. It's already a problem. You don't ignore it, just like Paul doesn't ignore it. He says, hey, I'm in jail. <laughs> not good okay you don't ignore it but in the midst of your problem he praised God anyway now in the Old Testament there's a there's a prophet by the name of Habakkuk or Habakkuk depending on where you put the emphasis Um, (laughs) and he says after two and a half chapters of grumbling about how bad things are it's quite good quite encouraging for us they're awfully honest aren't they you know, and the Psalms are as well. It's bad. It's not good. Two and a half chapters. After two and a half chapters, here's what he says. But I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. I don't understand the situation. I don't know why God's letting it go on, why God's letting it go on so long. I don't get it. But despite all that, contrast, opposite, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. See what the enemy wants is he wants you to focus on how bad it was, how bad it is right now, 
how bad it could be in the future and it absorbs you to the point that you don't get round to making the playground in your soul. That's what he wants. We, you want joy, but we refuse to rejoice. You get joy by rejoicing in the Lord. Notice that the word joy is in the middle of that. It's just a freebie. Rejoicing. Yeah, there you go. Rejoicing. Rejoicing in who God is and in what God has done for you in other scenarios. Okay? Let me illustrate this way. Um, I have had the privilege of being present for all three of our children's birth. It's wonderful. As a dad, it changes your life when you're there to experience that. And I know, ladies, when you start talking about a lady's experience of childbirth, you're on thin ice. Okay, but bear with me here. A woman in labor has a dual challenge going on, right? On the one hand, she's in pain. That's negative. That, ah, whew, that's difficult. She's in, but on the other hand, she has, she has this joy inside because of the life that she is about to give. She has tears on her face because of the pain, but there's joy because life is there and it's coming. And, whoa, it's so good. Life will make you cry. Issues that you have caused or others have caused you. It'll bring tears to your eyes. But God says, in the middle of your pain, I want you to make a big celebration about me. You must decide. I'm going to rejoice in who God is, despite where I am. So if you want victory over worry, decide to rejoice in the Lord. This is not a passage just to implement when you're worried about something. You know, We need to remember that the Lord is near. Now this thing has stopped. Here we go. Can we go back on? Hang on. Here we go. (laughs) Next. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Friends, when we're anxious, we isolate ourselves. We think we're on our own. Can I just encourage you? God hasn't moved. The Lord is near. He's longing for you to come to him. He's closer than you think. So acknowledge the problem. Okay, I'm concerned. But don't let it own you. Don't let it control you. And in the meantime, be gentle with other people. Don't take your misery out on other people around you. So the first thing is we're going to celebrate God. Right, number one, celebrate God. Now, while rejoicing, what's the next thing we're going to do? Look at verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So what that means is every time you're prone to worry, it's time to pray. Don't be anxious, but instead, prayer. And you know that you're getting worried because it's starting to control your mood. It's starting to control your sleep. It's starting to control your emotions. And if you haven't triggered that it's starting to control you, someone else will give you a nudge. Right? That's what, why we're in community with people around us. At every time you're prone to worry, hey, this is a call to pray. Don't be anxious. 
instead pray. Now, prayer is this umbrella word with two things underneath it. Petition and thanksgiving. By petition, we mean we need to get specific with the thing that's driving us to anxiety. So this is not just a general prayer. This is getting specific. So, you know, you, you just get specific with God. God, this is driving me nuts. These kids I have to be in the classroom with all week and teach them, it's driving me insane. This husband that you put me with, he's driving me crazy. Or um, this little bit of money that I have to uh, just can't make ends meet. This is, th- this is driving me crazy. So please help me. Be specific with the thing that's causing anxiety. But you do it with thanksgiving. Do it with thanksgiving. So while you're being specific, you give thanks. But what are you giving thanks for? I mean, when you're concerned about some stuff, it's not exactly that thankfulness is at the top of the list, is it, of your priorities. So what on earth are you giving thanks for? Well, we can see an example from Jesus and how he handles some stuff. In, um, in the Gospels, one day he was with 5,000 people around him, and they were hungry. And so the disciples said, send them home, figure it out themselves. And Jesus goes, "Ah, uh-uh, bring them to me. And all he had was a boy's lunch, two fish and five loaves. And the Bible tells us that Jesus gave thanks for the two fish and the five loaves. Translation, Jesus gave thanks over not enough. He gave thanks over not enough. So when you have a problem, we go to God with our problem. We give thanks in the middle of our request. I want to give you thanks, Lord, that you are the provider. I want to give you thanks that you know me better than I know myself. I want to give you thanks that you know the answer to my problem even before I know it. Thank you, even though I have a problem. So it's not some vague general prayer. This is a request and thanksgiving relating to your anxiety. Let me ask you, when was the last time you gave thanks in the middle of your anxiety? Give thanks, not for the problem, but for the God who you are inviting into the problem, who is closer than you think. So the second thing we're going to do is we're going to pray specifically and give thanks. But he's not finished. What can you expect if you do this? All right? Now, I could suggest a bunch of things, but God's word's way more powerful. So let's stay in the text. Verse 7, he says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He says, If you rejoice and if you pray, I will share with you my peace. In other words, I will bring you calm in the midst of your chaos. It's what peace is. Calm in the midst of chaos. Peace is not tied to your circumstances. This is how you know your prayer has got through. Not because the problem is solved, but because of the peace that he gives. Now, it says it's a peace that passes all understanding. That's because you can't figure out why you've got this peace. Why is this not ticking me off like it used to? Hey, well, it's because you've prayed and God's answered your prayer and you have peace as a result of your prayer. So let me recap. We choose to praise God. We're rejoicing. We're celebrating God. It's an audible thing. You don't celebrate in quiet. Okay? We express how 
much God means to us and how good he is. Then you pray specifically with thanksgiving. Then the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That guard word there, it's like a military term, like some centuries have been set up around your mind and around your heart. So, I now have peace, but Paul's not finished. In the next part, he turns our attention to our thought life. Wow. He says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Another version says, dwell on these things, which means don't just think about them a little bit. Carry on thinking about them. Dwell on them. Park on things that are worth thinking about, which means the third thing we're going to do is we're going to think about good things. That's what you've got to do to overcome your anxiety, to overcome worry. One of the reasons we don't keep the peace is we go on dwelling on the thing that goes against the peace that we ask for. We dwell on the lie. We dwell on the bad and it interrupts the guard at the door. He says, I need you to dwell. I need you to hang out. I need you to continually go on thinking about things that are praiseworthy, things that are good. Um, I like what Pastor Great Craig Rochelle says about overcoming anxiety. He says, your life is moving forward in the direction of your strongest thought. Your life is moving forward in the direction of your strongest thought. You see, friends, we live a lot of our life in these top four inches. We spend a lot of our time up here. Our life is going in the direction of our strongest thought, he's saying. So be careful what we do with our thoughts. Um, The prophet Isaiah, he's speaking about God when he says, you, God, keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So we have peace because of a growing awareness that God's care for us fosters an unanxious heart. It fosters trust. Many of us kill the peace because we dwell on the things that we shouldn't dwell on. We dwell on things that work against the peace. If you dwell on the lie, it's going to kill the peace. So, let me recap. To overcome anxiety, we're going to celebrate God. We rejoice. That's what it starts with. It starts with celebrating, rejoicing God. When it shows up, we go to specific prayer with thanksgiving. And when the peace, we, the, we keep the peace of God by your mental dwelling by thinking on good things, all right? Now, I just want to acknowledge, because what do you do when it's really bad? Like, I know some of you have done this and you're still in that spot of anxiety, things that are controlling you. Can I just say, mental health is a normal part of health, all right? So when you break your arm, what do you do? Do you sit around and go, well, I'll wait for... um, I'll wait for my mates tomorrow and we'll discuss it and we'll have a talk about it. Actually, no, I'm not going to. I'll wait in isolation and it'll fix itself. No, you don't. You go and see a specialist who's going to patch it up for you. If you have a heart attack, you call an ambulance and they wheel you off to the specialist to sort you out. Mental health is a normal part of health and there are times where we need to put our hand up and get help. And it's okay to do that. Anxiety often builds because... 
people don't hear their feelings. And I'll just tell you a story about somebody who this affected majorly. One day I get a phone call from the bank and they're worried about a farmer. So I go and see this farmer and I find him down the back of the farm. And um, initially he wasn't too open to wanting some help. In fact, it went like this. He said, what do you want? You know, you kind of get the demeanor. He's not too open to getting help. And so I explained to him that somebody's called us and uh, I'm here to, to see what we can do to help. Well, who rung you? Well, I can't tell you that. But isn't it good that you're in a community of people who are looking out for each other and somebody noticed that you're not doing too well and so they rung us and so to get some help. And he's like, yeah, I suppose that is a good thing. So as I was chatting with him, just leaning on a fence post down the back of the farm, he tells me that uh, he was badly affected by the flood on the farm. He's lost a bunch of stock. He's lost a big chunk of his income for the year. The bank is on his shoulder, threatening to foreclose on him. His, um, his marriage is falling apart. He thinks he's going to leave in the next few days, leave his wife and kids. And then he says, you know what, I think my family would be better off without me. This is, I'm, I can't sleep. These problems are controlling my sleep. I can't, can't get to sleep at night, and I think I'd better just end it. Wow. That's pretty severe, right? So at that point, I turned to him and I said, hey, um, would you mind if I just pray for you? And there was a pause. He took his glasses off. A tear was coming down his cheek. And he said, would you do that for me? Wow. Now, remember what we said here. Pray specifically. Now, he's not a believer, but we can pray for people, can't we? Right. I've never had anyone turn me down when I've offered that. It's unbelievable. Um, it doesn't mean you give him the, the whole gospel right there and then, right? But I just said, can I pray for you? He said, would you do that? It was like I threw him a lifeline. I prayed for this man right there and then. And when I said amen, the tears were flooding down his face. And he said, well, what do you suggest I do? I said, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get you some help for your farm. There's some specialists who are going to come in and give you some advice. It won't cost you anything. And we're going to get your farm back on the track. You're not a bad farmer. Um, we're going to get you some help with your marriage. We've got some marriage counsellors who I want to plug you into. I'm going to journey this with you. We're going to keep in touch. We're going to get you the help that you need. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I feel such a failure because I should be able to, after 30 years, I should be a good farmer. I should be a good dad. I should be a good husband. Um, but I, I just, I'm not. I've failed in all those areas. And I had to remind him of what we're talking about today. Is that sometimes we need to put our hand up and not do life in isolation. That guy is back on track. His farm's doing fine. His wife, I checked in with her as I left the farm. I said, hey, um, we're going to get you some help. And she said to me, he's never going to... Has he agreed to marriage counselling? He did. And she just gave me a big hug. Anyway, they're back on track and they're doing fine. How good is that, eh? I tell you that, not, not to say that I did anything great, but it's, any one of us can do that. Any one of us can say to someone, hey, can I pray for you? And then get them the help they need. All right, as a side note, can I just say, we need to watch out for the people that we hang out with. He says, whatever you've learned from me, put into practice, which assumes that they were walking closely with the Apostle Paul. So who are you hanging out with? Um, a lot of us stay worried because we're dealing with worrisome people. If you hang out with people who don't know 
how to praise in trouble, who don't know how to pray in trouble, and who don't know how to dwell in the right place in trouble, and particularly if they're your close buddy or your girlfriend, don't be surprised if your anxiety gets worse before it gets better. Okay? You need to hang out with some people who practice this themselves. This is one of the beauties of the church. One of the purposes of the church is to connect people with other spiritual people, people who can walk through stuff with you because they have been through it before. Okay? And this is a great place. You can come here as you are, what's and all. Take the facade off that the world says you've got to wear and just go, yeah, man, my life is not good right now. I need some help. I'm so pleased that you can do that in this church. Um, so can I encourage you, if this is something that you need help on, get involved, talk to a, uh, someone you trust, talk to one of the pastors, get involved in a, in a life group. Um, there's a Renew ministry on here. Check it out online or talk to one of the pastoral team um, because that's exactly what that's for. It's here to help you. The other thing is you may need some specialist medical care. Okay? God has gifted people in different ways, including specialists that we can go to. Friends, anxiety is treatable and it is curable and its reoccurrence is often preventable. Then he closes with this phrase, and we're nearly done. And the God of peace will be with you. Now, that's different to what he said first. He said the peace of God will be with you. But if you do this thinking about the right thing um, and hanging out with the right people who influence you, you, you don't just have the peace of God, you have the God of peace. Wow, who doesn't want that? In the first half you get his peace. In the second half you get his person. The peace of God will be with you, but if you do the second half, the person who gave you the peace will be with you and walking with you through life. Friends, if you remember nothing else from today, the way that we fight worry is with faith by casting all our anxieties on him. I just want to close with this story. Years ago in um, pioneer aviation history, there was a guy flying around the world and uh, he'd set off from one airfield and he's about two hours into his flight onto the, to carry on his journey and he hears some concerning noise in the plane. He looks around and he can see a rat gnawing at one of the cables in the plane. He thinks, ooh, how crucial is that cable? Because if that rat gets through there, we could be in trouble. And I really don't want to fall out of the sky. And his concern is starting to bubble up to be a little bit more worrisome. But then he remembers, a rat is a rodent. And a rodent is designed to live on the earth and under the earth. But the rodent is not designed to live in the atmosphere up high. So he puts his plane into a climb. And he climbs through 2,000, 3,000. Eventually he's at 20,000 feet. And sure enough, the noise of the gnat, of the rat gnawing on the cable stops. He looks down and the rat's dead. Yes! Achieved it. Friends, worry is a rodent. Worry is a rodent. It cannot live in the secret place of the Most High. Worry cannot breathe in the atmosphere that's made vital by praise and prayer and being involved in a community and thinking about the right things and familiarizing yourself with scripture. Worry can't live and breathe in that environment. Worry dies when we ascend 
to the Lord in prayer. All right? So let me finish with that. Let's pray together. Father, we want to bless your name. You are a good, good father. Thank you that you are faithful to your promises. Thank you that you are closer than we think. Thank you that you don't move. We pray that you would enable us to see clearly all that you are and all that you have done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of us here are worried about something and it's crippling us on the inside. It's destroying us. It's destroying our joy and our playground on the inside. We long for the peace in our hearts that you offer. And so would you help us to bring our concerns to you? Would you help us to run to you and to be quick to praise and to be quick to pray? And would you give us the courage to put up our hand if we need help and to find the people, the community of people around us who can walk with us through this? Lord, we want to experience the peace that you offer. So we ask for your help in this. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Amen.